We're going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, the readings from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, verses 1 to 9. Uh, the words are on the screen, uh, but if you'd like to follow in the church Bibles, the red ones, it's on page 1144. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, afternoon all. Uh, I see a number of faces I don't know, as you will have gathered. My name is Marco. Um, it's my privilege to serve uh, here as KCC as part of the leadership team and as the pastor of the church. Please do stay afterwards, as Keith has already invited you to stay for supper. It would be great to say hello. Do come and say hi. It would be, uh, be a privilege to say hello and find out how you came to be with us this evening. Well, uh, as, as Keith has told you, we're starting our series in 1 Corinthians. Um, and Lord willing, we'll spend 28 weeks this year in 1 Corinthians. So that's just over half the sermons that will be preached from this pulpit and just over half the uh, journey group discussions will come from just these 16 chapters. Now in some ways, <clears throat> in some ways, it's a risky book to preach. It's, uh, it's full of sensitive issues that threaten to divide. It's, um, well, put, put some of us on one side of an issue and others on the other if not handled carefully. Uh, it's equally full of sensitive issues that will expose parts of our hearts that, to be honest, some of us, well, all of us, would rather keep hidden at times, wouldn't we? 1 Corinthians will confront us about favoritism, about preferring one Bible teacher over another, about turning a blind eye to sin, about singleness and marriage and divorce, about right sex and wrong sex, about arguments and disputes, over petty things between one another in the church, about how to behave properly when we gather for worship, very controversially perhaps about how women should conduct themselves in worship, about how men should conduct themselves all the time, about how we should use the gifts God has given us for the purpose for which he gave them and not to promote ourselves to prominence in the eyes of others. I fully expect 1 Corinthians will discomfort at least most, if not all of us, at some stage this year. So why preach it then? It's packed full of sharp edges. Why not choose a different book, one with fewer and softer edges? Well, it's because we're serious about being and making disciples of the Lord Jesus, not just in theory, but in the practicalities of real life. And that is why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. You see, Paul had founded this young church in Corinth. That's why he says in chapter 4, I became your father in Christ through the gospel. He'd spent 
18 months in the city of Corinth, preaching, teaching, evangelizing, sharing his life with the new believers, laying the foundations for the ongoing witness and ministry of the church. And then he left Corinth for ministry in Ephesus, and it was probably about two or three years later he heard of problems back in Corinth, and that's when he wrote this letter. But you'll notice I said that's when he wrote the letter. That's not why he wrote it. He's not writing merely as an overseer to correct problems in the church. He's writing as a father in the faith to teach his beloved children how to live as disciples in a culture that celebrated and promoted values contrary to the ways of God. He says to himself in chapter 4 from verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in the church. You see, problems in the church gave the occasion for the letter, but his purpose in writing is not merely to fix problems. It is to, in his words, urge those he loves to imitate him in practical holiness. If you look at chapter 4, verse 16 with me briefly, and see that this is really what the Bible says. He says, I urge you, my beloved children in the Lord, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. Now, notice two really important things here. First, what does Paul say he teaches everywhere in the church? Doctrine? No. Old Testament history, perhaps? No. The Ten Commandments, surely? No. Do you see it in verse 17? My ways in Christ. Practical holiness. A life conformed to Jesus. No doubt he did teach them Old Testament history. No doubt he did teach them the Ten Commandments and doctrine. In fact, in these verses that were read for us, he brings all of those things into his, his exhortation to them. And we'll look at those in a few minutes. But neither Old Testament history nor doctrine nor biblical or theological knowledge of any kind were ends in themselves. They were to the end that sinners would come to know the one true living and holy God, that they would see him revealed in and through his holy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that seeing him, they would be transformed, conformed, changed by the power of the Spirit of God to be like him, to live like him. Practical holiness in Christ, lives of overflowing joy, now see the second thing. Paul wants them to imitate him, so he sends them Timothy, his young disciple. Timothy, who had traveled with Paul, watching him, learning from him as a father from a son. Timothy had so learned Paul's ways in Christ that Paul could say, I want you to imitate me, so I'm sending you Timothy. What does that tell us? It works. This discipleship thing really works. The power of the Word of God by the Spirit of God modeled, demonstrated, 
shown from one generation to the next really works. And that's what we want, isn't it? To be faithful disciples. To be true followers of the Lord we love. The Lord who loved us from eternity past, who proved his love on the cross, and who will return one day to complete the salvation of all who long for his return. And that's why we're going to spend more than half of this year in this letter to learn the ways of Christ. How to live Jesus-shaped lives in this culture that has become so very hostile to his ways. Now, let's get into today's passage. Chapter 1, from verses 1 through 9. Now, the main point in these opening verses is simply this. God is faithful and will complete his purposes for his glory through his church. God is faithful, Corinthians, and will complete his purposes for his glory through you, his church. Now, we'll come to that main point in a couple of minutes, but first, there's an important background point here. If you look carefully, you'll see in the text, or more accurately, I should say, if you look carefully, you won't see in the text. If you look at verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In him you were enriched, so on. Now, what do you not see in those verses? Paul begins all his church letters, well, except Galatians, with thanksgiving, but it's a particular kind of thanksgiving. Let me read you a few others and see if you can spot what's missing here in 1 Corinthians. Romans 1 verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Ephesians 1 verse 15, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Philippians 1 verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you because of your partnership in the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, we always thank God for all of you, remembering your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the same in Colossians and the same in 2 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy and Philemon. I thank God for your faith, for your love for God's people, for your partnership in the ministry of the gospel, for your works of faith, for your labors of love, for your endurance, for your hope in the Lord. But not to the Corinthians. He gives thanks to God, yes, but not for evidences of Christian maturity, not for testimonies of selfless, gospel-hearted love of others, not for evidences in the life of this church of growth in Christ-likeness, but that God is faithful in spite of their immaturity. And the rest of the letter makes this even clearer. This was a church full of childish, petty disputes, full of sexual sin and proud of it, believers suing one another in court, flaunting their spiritual gifts over one another for self-promotion, the wealthy humiliating the poor by their selfishness, disorder in worship. This church was a mess. Paul could not thank God for evidences of spirit-formed virtue in these believers. They are, in these verses, the passive recipients 
of all that Paul thanks God for. I thank God, verse 4, for the grace that was given you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in him you have been enriched. Verse 7, for the gifts of grace you have been given. Verse 8, that God will sustain you to the end. All Paul can thank God for is what God has done for them. Now, of course, that is the gospel. What God has done for us in Christ that we could not do for ourselves. That God reached down from heaven. That God came down from heaven in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to seek and to save us, for we were lost. But that's not the whole of salvation. We are saved not only from the just penalty of our sin, but also from the enslaving power of sin. Jesus Christ has set us free. Free from the fear of hell. Free from the fear of death. Free from the dominion of Satan. Free from the tyranny of sin. Free to love the Lord God Almighty with all our hearts, with all our souls and our strength. Free to take up our cross and follow Jesus in God-glorifying lives of self-forgetful love and costly service of others. Free for the joy of obedience. But Paul is not able to thank God for these things yet. Not in this church. These are immature Christians who still think far too highly of themselves, who have not yet learned to hate sin as they ought whose confidence rests too much on themselves and too little on the gospel. And Paul knows, hear this carefully, friends, Paul knows that growing up is going to hurt. In the rest of the letter, he is going to, as a wise father in the Lord, he's going to start to open their eyes to their own foolishness, to their immaturity. He's going to say to them, Look at how you live. And look at how the gospel calls you to live. And as their eyes are opened, as by the Holy Spirit they come under the conviction of sin and their consciences feel the pain of their own failure, they are going to need to remember the gospel. They are going to need to remember the faithfulness of God. They are going to need to remember that their salvation, all of it, freedom from guilt and eternal punishment, and transformation of heart and life, all of their salvation rests on the faithfulness of God. Friends, as you hear the Lord's word to you in Corinthians this year, you are going to be uncomfortable at times, and at times more than uncomfortable. You will come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit over your sin, You will see in your heart immaturity, self-centeredness, and patterns of sin of which you will rightly be ashamed. And when you do, remember this. Your loving Father, not Paul, your Father in heaven, is in kindness, in love, leading you to the joy of Christ-likeness. It is all of Him. Some of you, of a self-accusing disposition, will be tempted to despair. Remember the gospel. Some of you, of a more self-assured disposition, 
will be tempted to brush off conviction. This doesn't apply to me. Remember the gospel. For both ends of the spectrum, and to everyone in between, your father is jealous for your maturity, for your joy, for his glory in your joy. Your sinful nature won't always enjoy it, and your accuser, Satan, the devil, will do his utmost to lock you in despair or in denial. Remember these verses. Remember the rock of your salvation. Remember God. Our new journey groups, Keith showed you on the calendar, will meet uh, for the first time in the week beginning 20th of February. That's two weeks tomorrow. Why don't you try and memorize these nine verses by then? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus said, then your heart will be shaped by my words. Your desires will be my desires. Your prayers will be answered. And you will live as true disciples, bearing the fruit of holiness to my Father's glory. Two weeks, nine verses. And may your heart be filled with the unshakable confidence of the gospel. Confidence in God who is the rock of our salvation. The rock that will never be shaken. This was Paul's confidence, and it is ours, that salvation is entirely of God. That God, who is the rock eternal and unshakable, is the author of our salvation. That is why the apostle calls them, in verse 2, the church of God, the church of God that is in Corinth. Not the church of the Corinthians. No, the church of God. Not the church of nice middle-class people in Kenilworth. The church of God that is in Kenilworth. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord. This is the basis for confidence, that you are the church of God. And what is the church of God? It is the holy people come into being by his will, by his call, in Christ, for his glory, held firm by him into eternity. Just as Paul was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ, so the church is called into being by the will of God. You see, the one entails the other. For what does it mean to be an apostle of Christ, but to be a messenger of the good news of the gospel of Christ for the salvation of sinners, and the calling into being of God's new humanity, the church. As Paul himself says in Romans chapter 1, that he received apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Paul received apostleship not so that he could enjoy the title, but so that by his ministry and the power of the Spirit, the spiritually dead would be called to life and churches would be born. The church exists by the will of God. Can God's will fail? Can it be, dear Christian, that that which God, God, that which God wills possibly could fail? Second, the church exists by the call of God. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth called to be saints. The effectual call of Almighty God. The call by which the dead are brought to life. Not the invitation, 
No. The call of God is not an invitation. It is the irresistible call of the maker to his creation. The irresistible call of boundless power and unqualified authority to the soul of man. The Lord Jesus in his days on earth didn't invite Lazarus, four days dead in the grave, to consider his invitation to a reunion party. He called him by the irresistible call that reaches through death and commanded Lazarus come forth. The church exists by the irresistible call of God. Now I forgot to get something out of my bag, so I'm going to ask my son to just quickly bring me my bag, please. Thanks, Jack. Now, that may offend some of you. You may think that you responded to the gospel entirely of your own accord. I have here a little steel paper clip. You probably can't see it from where you're sitting, but, uh, but here it is. Now imagine with me for a moment. Imagine I placed this little paper clip at one end of a table, a well-polished wooden table. There. And imagine at the other end of the table the most powerful electromagnet in the world. Now, of course, the most powerful magnet the world can't fit on a little table, but just pretend. It's plugged in, but not yet switched on. What's going to happen when I turn it on? What's going to happen to the little steel paper clip? Can the paperclip resist the call of the magnet? Oh, of course not. Who's doing the work in this situation? Well, the magnet. All the power is in the magnet. The magnet does all the work. Of course, from the paperclip's perspective, it thinks it's the one doing all the work. After all, it's the one sprinting across the table to the magnet. It's doing all the moving. The paperclip thinks, I'm the one who's responded. The power is in the magnet. The church exists by the irresistible call of Almighty God in Christ Jesus. To the church of God that is at Kenilworth, to those sanctified in Christ, to those called, the church consists of the sanctified in Christ, That is, those made holy in Christ. God willed your salvation. God called you irresistibly to salvation. God has sanctified you, made you holy in Christ. By Jesus' death on the cross, he paid the price. He suffered the penalty that your sin deserves. Justice has been served on the cross in the body and the blood of Jesus. Jesus took all your sin. He wore it. He became sin for you. And God took all of Jesus' perfection, all of Jesus' perfect holiness, and put it on you. Now you wear His holiness. In Jesus, you are objectively holy in the sight of God. To the church of God in Kenilworth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, to be his holy people. Paul tells the church that they stand in continuity with the people of God of ages past. 
They are part of his grand story. You see, the people of God, back then the nation of Israel, were first called a holy people at the foot of, foot of Mount Sinai when God said to them, You've seen how I rescued you from the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession amongst all peoples, for the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, I have saved you, Israel. I have made you my own. You are already mine, secure in my love, in my election. You are already my possession, holy unto me. Now be holy. Now live according to my ways. Be a holy people and show all the world the character of your saving God. To the church of God in Kenilworth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, you are saved, secure in the eternal will of God, saved by his irresistible call and sanctified by the sacrifice of his beloved son. Now be holy. Now that you wear his clothes, now that you wear his righteousness, his holiness in place of your sin, now put on his sandals and follow him. Now grow in holiness of heart and of hands. Now become, by the power of the Holy Spirit, ever more like him whose robes of holiness you already wear. All the grace you need for the journey is given you. Verse 7, you are not lacking in any gift of grace, is literally what it says. Any gift of grace. Grace to you as you wait eagerly for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, as do all who love him. Where is your confidence then, dear Christian? The road ahead this year, the path through 1 Corinthians, has some steep climbs, some sharp and rocky edges, and some dangerous falls. You may feel at times inadequate, that you can never achieve this thing called holiness. Christ-like holiness. You will see the distance between your heart and the demands of the gospel of holiness. And when you see it, when you are tempted to despair or to deny the truth, remember the gospel. Remember God is faithful. Remember you are saved by the will of one who spoke the stars into space. Remember, you are sanctified by the blood of the eternal Son of God who took your sin and your shame upon himself on the cross. Remember, you are called now to be holy in life, not just holy in status, in heart and in hands. Remember grace. Grace and more grace is given you for the journey. Remember, God is faithful. But I dare not end there, for this text requires that I ask two questions of you. First, how do you know? How do you know if you are among the called? If you are saved by his will, by his effectual call, by the blood of Christ? How do you know? Well, it's not quite true 
that Paul has nothing to commend in the Corinthian church. If you see in verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul affirms their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of their immaturity, in spite of their pettiness, in spite of all their sins, in spite of all the mess. He recognizes that Christ is the one in whom they hope, that his name, his person, is their hope. Is it yours? Is the Lord Jesus Christ your hope? Is he your Lord? Perhaps, like the paperclip, you sense your heart drawn irresistibly to him right now. If that's you, friend, receive it. Receive his grace and find yourself safe upon the eternal rock. God the faithful, who will sustain and uphold you guiltless from now into the eternal days to come. And second question, are you in the fellowship of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ? For to this you have been called, verse 9, relationship both with Christ and with the community of his people. These two realities are inseparable. To be in Christ is to be in the fellowship of the church. You can't have one without the other. Think of it. Would you say to Christ, I love you, Lord Jesus. I receive with thanks all you've done for me, but I will not love your people. I will not join in bonds of fellowship with those loved by your Father, saved by his will, called by his irresistible grace. I will not join in heart and hand with those whose salvation you purchased at the price of your body wrecked, your blood poured out on the cross. Though you have made them your own, they're not good enough for me. If you do not love the church, then you do not love what Jesus loves, and you do not love what the Father loves, and the Holy Spirit is not in you. But if you do love the church, if you do love God's people, then don't look first at all our faults and failings. Look first at God. God the faithful. God the rock of our salvation. God who has made us here in Kenilworth a congregation of his saints. God who has drawn us up into the grand sweep of his purposes to make for himself a people, a holy people, for the display of his glory as we learn together in Paul's words the ways of Christ. If you do love God and his people, join us for the journey. You are not invited. You are called. I want you bow your hearts with me as I pray. Our great and gracious Father, 
your patience, your patience with us. In spite of our sins, in spite of our silliness, in spite of our pettiness, in spite of our immaturity, you call us your own. You send your Holy Spirit to dwell, to live in our hearts, to transform us into the likeness of your Son, that we would become ever more like him, our Savior, our Lord, our heart's desire. Father, as we look ahead to 2020, to all that it entails, to a journey through a book full of sharp edges, to whatever else you have in store for us this year that we don't know, this is our confidence that you are our rock, that you saved us, that you willed our salvation from eternity past, that you called us in Christ to salvation, that you uphold us, that you sustain us, that you are even now making us holy, that our salvation is complete. We are free. We are free. Free of the tyranny of sin. Free to love you. Free to obey. Free to worship. Free to live as you intended us to. Free to pick up our cross and follow our Lord. Father, would you be glorified in us this year as we do this. Teach us the ways of Christ to your glory. Amen.